Good morning. Good to worship with you today. If you're new here, my name is Fred. I'm one of the pastors. I'll be preaching today and just want to say welcome. Thanks for coming and uh, worshiping with us today. We're going to be in Revelation 21. Uh, While you're turning there, that's at the very end of the Bible. It's one of the easiest chapters in the Bible to find. Uh, It's literally the next to the last chapter. Um, But while you're turning there, a couple of announcements. God has been doing some great things here at Redemption Church. And uh, just the rate at which we are seeing him change lives is incredible. And uh, the ladies had a great Christmas gathering yesterday. There was, I know there was 60 ladies signed up. I'm not sure what the final number was, but they heard testimonies and were encouraged to study their Bibles and, and, um, and encouraged to reflect on Christ during this Christmas season. Just a really powerful time together yesterday. And so thank you ladies for putting so much effort into that. Uh, also, this week, our elders made some big decisions that are, are going to have a, a very cool uh, gospel kingdom impact around the world. As many of you know, we've been doing some work in Malawi, which is in the southern part of Africa. And just this week, we approved a plan to establish a leadership training school there where pastors and church leaders will be trained, as well as uh, village leaders who are, who are working together to solve many of the problems that they face there in Malawi, specifically for clean water and um, sustainable farming and housing and just a lot of the, the crises that are ongoing. And... Um, When we were over there in July working with Pastor Charles, he showed us a plot of land that he had purchased. And there'll be some pictures on the screen behind me of this plot of land. He took us to this land and he shared with us his vision to build a facility that he could train uh, leaders year round. Pastor Charles has been given a lot of influence there in his community among pastors and amongst village leaders. And one of the problems is, is half of the year is the rainy season. And they had no indoor space that they could meet in to continue training throughout the rainy season. They kind of had this this, uh, pavilion with a grass roof and just um, wasn't big enough and really insufficient for for training during a a large part of the year. And so uh, he... He shared with us this vision, and this is the land. We got to pray with him. You see, there's piles of bricks in the background. He'd already purchased bricks, was ready to begin construction, but but needed the funds to do so. And so we worked together, developed a plan for doing that. Uh, In total, the facility that that we're planning there is going to cost approximately $50,000, and I asked him, I said, what do you need to get started? Like, what's the next phase? And he shared with me what they need. And the total came to $6,000. And so this week, our elders approved sending $6,000 to begin the construction of this really important leadership training school. So very, very exciting to be a part of this and to see we, and additionally, uh, and, and, you know, we've, We've been very clear to him, no promises, but we're gonna do our best um, to continue to support this effort as we have the ability to to support the different phases of this project. We're with you. Um, Furthermore, we committed to sending leaders from Redemption Church to go there approximately every eight months for the next three years to train to come alongside of him and help him in training up his leaders. And our plan is to train leaders 
who have the, the uh, potential to train other leaders. It's the second Timothy two principle where we're gonna invest in them and they're gonna go invest in others in their community. And this is going to have an impact for generations to come. In addition to the biblical training and the pastoral training that we're, that we're beginning to pursue with them, um, Charles is gathering together leaders of villages all throughout the region and they're, they're really starting to work together about solving their, their physical problems as well. It's a very impoverished part of the world. Uh, they lack clean water. They lack sustainable farming. Um, they lack housing that can withstand the storms that come through Malawi. Lots of problems. They're almost always in crisis mode. And it's hard to, to get somebody to think big picture about what their, what their nation could become and what the church could be when you're constantly in crisis. It's constantly, we need food or we need clean water or we need to rebuild houses that have been destroyed. And so he's also working together to help solve some of those problems so that we can help lift the folks there above the constant state of crisis that they find themselves in. It's got incredible potential, and I'm very honored that God has allowed us to be a part of this. And so uh, I invite you to be praying, uh, to continue praying for the folks in Malawi that, that um, this project would really see a lot of kingdom fruit. Also want to thank you for giving. It's because the people of Redemption Church are so generous and so faithful in their giving that we can participate in projects like this. And so I encourage you to continue to do so. Uh, speaking of giving, we're going to do similar to what we did last year about this time. We're going to have a Christmas offering. Uh, God has very faithfully provided for the needs of, of this ministry throughout the year. And so we want to take um, the last offering of the year, actually the last two offerings of the year, and invest them in ministries that are ministering right here in our community. And so last year we identified three local ministries that we wanted to support through that special offering. This year we've expanded it to four. We're entrusting um, that, that we're gonna see even greater faithfulness in response to this this year and be able to bless these four local ministries. Uh, we'll explain those ministries more to you in the weeks to come, but what I want you to know is that Christmas Eve weekend and New Year's Eve weekend, everything that comes in through our offering those weekends is gonna go into those four local ministries. And so give us an opportunity to encourage people who are changing the lives of those right here in our community. Uh, also, if you, if you won't be at either of those services or just prefer to give online, there'll be an option when you go to give online to designate your gift um, for, that, for that same fund. So any of your automa uh, automated giving that's already set up and stuff will continue to go uh, where it normally goes. But anything received here in those services, Christmas Eve weekend and New Year's Eve weekend and anything that is designated as such online will go into that. Last year we raised $18,000 through that Christmas offering. And so uh, very excited to get to partner with some local ministries. All right, that's enough uh, as far as that goes, but I just wanted to update you. It's really cool what God's doing in Malawi, and I think we're gonna see a lot of good gospel fruit come from this uh, in, in the years to come. With that in mind, let's look at Revelation chapter 21 together. I'll read the text, then we'll pray together and jump into the sermon. Verse one says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to your word and we long to rejoice at what you are doing. We rejoice at the thought that you will make all things new. That you are going to restore creation according to your eternal plan for mankind that we will exist in a world where we will see you face to face. Where we, there will no longer be the barriers that we experience today between your presence and ourselves and that we will no longer live in a world that is marred by sin, that is full of the death and destruction that we so often experience here today on this earth. Thank you for the promise of this new creation. God, I pray as we embark on this this mission with our partners and our brothers and sisters in Christ in Malawi to change lives for eternity, to bring hope to the hopeless, to not just provide temporal things, though we will, but ultimately to introduce people to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. God, may those who are currently without hope hear the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you bless this ministry. Thank you for Pastor Charles and his family, and I pray that you watch over them and allow them to see through this, this vision that you have given them for, for reaching their neighbors with the gospel. This vision for training up generations of pastors to lead the church and this vision of bringing together village leaders so that they might work together to solve the needs of their people. God, in all these things, may you be glorified. And may you continue to work here in, in our own community. Use the funds that will be gathered at the end of this year to advance the gospel, to, to bring hope and, and encouragement to those who are hurting right next to us. May, may, they, may they find the relief that they seek in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we ask. In your name, amen. Amen. So last week we, we talked about hell, which was not a lot of fun, but uh, important to do. And, and important, uh, one, because it's in the text, and important, two, because of the implications of the reality of hell. Today we get to talk about heaven. We get to talk about the good plan that God has 
to redeem his creation and, and, and to bring us into the relationship with him for which he created this entire universe. And one of the things that we see as we approach chapter 21 together is this idea of things being made new. Today I wanna look at this text and I wanna point out three things that we are told which will be new when God brings to summation his plan for human history. If you have the handout that we gave you on the way in, you can turn it over on the back. You may wanna take some notes, jot down some of the things that that come to mind today. The first set of fill in the blanks that you'll see there is that God has in mind a new world. He is creating a new world. And, And by world, I mean the physical realm the universe that we live in. I'll show you this in verses one and two. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's the one we're living in now. And the sea was no more. And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. This, this city, this new Jerusalem that comes down, John goes into further detail in the rest of chapter 21. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on that today, but, but he does explain that more. But what, what I wanna emphasize here is that the world as it is today is going to be recreated. There's debate over whether or not passed away means it, it's gonna be completely destroyed and replaced with a new one, or it's gonna be kind of remodeled and recreated to be what it was supposed to be. Either way, the good news is, is that the things that are wrong with the earth that we live on today will be resolved at the return of Christ. He's coming and he is coming, with him is coming a new heaven and a new earth. One that this and you have to understand what has happened to this earth to understand why this is necessary. When God created, if you read in Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, everything that God created was good. And the world that he was creating so that mankind could live in his presence and enjoy the goodness of his character and the goodness of the world that he had created, all of that was marred, all of that was tainted when Adam and Eve fell and rebelled against God. And the world itself has been thrown into the consequence of sin. The world itself, physical creation has been changed. We, one example of this that we read about in those early chapters of Genesis is that when Adam works after the fall, that work will be hard. The ground becomes hard. This, this implies that before the fall, work was nothing but a pleasure. To go out and to till the ground, to plant a garden was fun, <laughs> And some people still think that's fun, I guess, to some degree. But it really was fun then. And and creation has been changed. And our relationship with creation has been changed. We are allergic to natural things on the earth. We experience 
poison ivy or we experience the pain of thorns. All of these things did not exist before the fall. I, I don't know, maybe thorns existed, but before the fall, you'd scratch your leg on a thorn. You'd be like, oh man, that feels kind of good. <laughs> now, now it hurts. Our relationship with creation has been affected by sin. In the new world, in God's plan to, to redeem all, of, all things, the, the world that we live in will be placed back into its original intended order, wherein the relationship between man and the earth will be nothing but a good relationship. All of the things that, that we struggle to, to sort of contain and struggle to deal with uh, on this earth, well, that will be no more. We'll, we'll live in a creation that is good. A creation that is perfected. And, and in some way, in some way, we're, we're being taken back to the Garden of Eden. But it's, it's I think that, that's an insufficient way of thinking it. Be, because what we're getting in the new creation is a, a new and better Eden. That what God has done in sending his son to redeem us through the gospel and to redeem his creation is somehow going to advance his creation beyond what was there in the Garden of Eden. All of the good things of the Garden of Eden will be present, but it will be even better because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of his coming to save us and his going to prepare a place for us, which we'll look at in just a little bit. And so when John sees this new heaven and this new earth, he's, he's, being, he's being given a vision of a world that will be perfect. For the first time in our human experience, we will experience a universe that is not scary, that is not out of, I don't say out of control, but from our perspective, out of control, Storms happen and, and uh, what we call natural disasters happen. All of, this, all of this, God is going to restore his creation back to, and it was good. Just like we read in Genesis chapter one. It will be forever good. What this means for us is that we must live our lives in perspective of eternity. We must live our lives investing ourselves, investing our, our time, our energy, our relationship, our resources in things that are going to last for eternity. If this world is going to pass away, then that should drastically influence how we live this life. Because those who, whose minds have not been enlightened by the gospel are living only for this world. The majority of people on earth, I would say, even many Christians, probably perhaps the majority of Christians spend most of our time living, in, living investing ourselves in this world in things that are going to pass away. And one day we're gonna wake up and we're gonna find out that we have wasted those resources. We wasted our time. We wasted our energy. We wasted our life on things that just won't matter in eternity. 
And Revelation 21 is a reminder, a reminder that we are part of a greater reality, that we are part of a, of an, we're, we're invited into a world that has a completely different economy. Let me try to illustrate this for you. When I was in my early 20s, I fell for an investment scheme. Now, before, before you get too concerned, I only lost $100, wasn't a big deal. And I'm not super bright, but I'm not super dumb either. You gotta remember, when I was in my 20s, we're talking early 2000s, Nelly was popular when I was in my early 20s, right? We didn't have Facebook, we had MySpace, right? And so, and so it was a different world, especially in relationship to the internet, right? But, but I, this investment scheme, and, and these still happen today, is what it was, was somebody had taken a failing company whose stock was almost completely worthless. I think it was worth less than a penny per stock. And they had dumped a bunch of money into it, which artificially inflated the, work, the, the value of the stock temporarily. And then they send out, you know, I don't know how I came across it, if it was an email thing that I got or if it was on a website or something, but they blast out there and try to get people's attention. Look at this hot stock tip. This, this stock has increased exponentially and it's only going to get better. And if you invest now, your money is going to explode if you invest in, you know, from, my, from, from what I did, I invested $100, that had the potential to become thousands and thousands of dollars because they would lie about this company and say, this company's on the verge of going big and blah, 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 blah. Well, what really was happening, they had dumped money into a company that was not going to do well, inflated the value of the stock, and then they were counting on people like me who were sitting there listening to Nelly playing on MySpace or whatever to invest our money so that they could pull their money out at great profit and then eventually we'd all lose everything that we invested, which is exactly what happened. That $100 became absolutely worthless because the company that it was invested in was completely worthless. It was going away. It was about to cease to exist. I got scammed. These people got rich. That's the way it worked. How much of what we're investing in with our lives Time, relationship, money, other resources, energy. How much of what we are investing in are we investing in things that are passing away? We have fallen for the same investment scheme. We have been told that this world is, to, is where we are to invest ourselves. Get the best house you can get. Get the, the nicest cars you can get. Go on the most exotic vacations that you can get. Buy the newest iPhone. You know, here we are. It's Christmas time. It's, it's time. It's, this is the time of the year where everybody in my household thinks they need a brand new iPhone. It's Merry Christmas, right? <laughs> Reagan's raising her hand. <laughs> it's, it's just this like endless dumping of money. And listen, these things are necessary. You're, you're going to have to pay your bills. You're going to have to invest money into things that are, that are depreciating in value. You're going to have to spend time and energy on things like mowing your grass, which is just going to grow again. 
Those things don't necessarily have eternal value, but they're part, they're part of living this life here on earth. But we have the opportunity to invest in more. We have the opportunity to, to, to as, as Jesus uh, said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. We have an opportunity to place treasure in heaven. And when we do so, our hearts follow. Our hearts begin to, it's the same thing. When you invest, when you invest in a company, your heart is there. You're like, you wanna know how they're doing. You wanna know what decisions are being made. You care about the products or whatever it is that they're profiting off of. Same thing happens when we invest in the kingdom of heaven. When we start to, to give ourselves and our lives into the world that he is creating instead of the world that is passing away, then we are making a healthy investment. How much, how much of your life, I wanna think holistically, your time, your energy, your health, your relationships, your financial resources or other physical resources, how much of that are you investing in the world to come? On the flip side, how much are you investing in this world that's passing away? How much of what you have spent your time on will still be producing a return 100, 500, 5,000 years from now. The reality is, is there are only certain investments that we can make that have that kind of a return. And it's when we invest in the kingdom of God. It's when we do gospel ministry. It's when we choose to invest money in things like a, a leadership training school in Malawi or when we drill clean water wells because we're giving people the gift of life, we're giving people the gift of health with which we hope that they will grow in their relationship with Jesus. These are the opportunities we have to make investments that have eternal value. This world is temporary. This world is passing away. This world is not insignificant because it's, the decisions that we make in this lifetime that will impact eternity. But we must understand the relationship between this life and the next. For this reason, Paul says in Romans chapter eight, listen to what he says of creation. In chapter eight, verse 18, he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. That in and of itself is a sermon. What a great verse. But he continues. He says, for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. And when he says creation, he's talking about the physical world. The physical world itself eagerly waits with anticipation for the, to just put this plainly, for Jesus to bring about the end of all things, to bring about this uh, uh, this apocalypse, this revealing of his plan for creation. Verse 20 says, for the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains 
until now. Not just human beings, but creation itself is groaning as if in the process of labor. What is the process of labor? Well, first of all, uh, it's extremely painful from what I hear. It's almost as painful and as uncomfortable as a man with a cold. It's that bad. This is serious stuff we're talking about. But the anticipation of labor is that it's going to give way to new life. It's the process, it's the pain of giving birth. And that is where we are at as creation. We are in labor not just as human beings, but creation itself is groaning, longing for Jesus to come and to bring this new creation to reality. So why he said, Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, verse one, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is preparing the new creation. He is preparing this world in which we will live with him, this world into which only he can take us. That's the new world. Not only do we get a new world, we get, the next thing you see on the handout, we get a new relationship. We get a new relationship. Verse three says, then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. The previous things are where we live now. The previous things are that though, though through the gospel, I do attain a new relationship with God. My sins have been removed and, and yet we're not yet where we're supposed to be. I'm still separated by God through my own sin. I'm still separated uh, from God by this broken vessel, this body and this world that, that cannot accommodate God's presence. And yet in the new world, in the world that is being created by Jesus right now, that is being prepared as a place where we will dwell in the new world, we get this new relationship in this, this intimacy is, is the picture of the intimacy so vividly painted here in verse four. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I'll bet you can count on one hand how many people have wiped away tears from your eyes. Some of you maybe have never had someone wipe away tears. It is, it is such an act of intimacy for another human being to feel close enough to you to reach out and to wipe away tears from your eyes. This is the picture of the relationship that we will have with God in this new creation. It's so much different than the relationship that we have now 
where we have, to, we have to strive to sense his presence or to experience his presence. We're constantly contending with our flesh, which wants to rebel against him. But in the new creation, we will have this, this intimacy with God where he is that close to us. His presence is comforting us. It, sa- it says, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. See, God can't live with humanity in this world. This world is marred by sin. We are still in rebellion against him, but in the new world, that won't be the case. His presence will be among us. It'll be felt by every individual person as he wipes away tears from our eyes. Furthermore, there'll be no more death. Imagine a world where no one and no thing dies. As a result, there'll be no grief. There'll be no crying. It's as if that, that one wiping away of tear, tears from our eyes is sufficient for eternal comfort. There'll be no more tears after that. And pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. In this new relationship, there's no more separation from God. There's no, there's no gulf between man and God. There's, there's no gap between creation and creator. He will be among us. No more death, no more grief, no more crying or pain. God will be our God. That's the relationship that we're headed towards. That's the relationship of which we have been given a down payment we begin to experience that love from God through Jesus Christ coming into our lives now and giving us the new birth. This is what it means to be saved in the gospel. We begin, and we have those moments. We have those moments of, I can just, I can just feel how much God loves me right now, but they're fleeting, aren't they? They don't last. They will in the new creation. Finally, not only are we in a new world where we receive a new relationship with God, but we will live by new rules. New rules. And listen, don't panic. You might be thinking, well, I was hoping there'd be no rules. You might associate rules as a bad thing. No, these are good rules. These are rules that ensure that creation remains good. These are the rules that ensure that the joy of heaven remains joyful forever. Verse five says, the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. Isn't that, doesn't that just deflect your imagination back to Jesus Christ on the cross before he gave his final breath and he said, it is finished. At the crucifixion, Jesus was referring to what, what was finished at that time was the work of atonement. He had sufficiently and completely paid the price for sins so that God could freely offer his mercy to those who would receive him through the gospel. He had paid the price for our sins. And that work was finished. But what is not yet finished is his his bringing to completion 
the activity of man in this current world and coming to establish his rule and his reign on the, in the new creation. And we get to verse six in Revelation 21, and now he says, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, which means the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Perfect harmony with Jesus Christ, our savior. But here's the new rule. The rule that ensures that this new creation will remain good forever. There will no longer be permitted any rebellion. And those who do not desire to live under God's good rule, but prefer to live on their own terms, they will not be allowed to coexist with the redeemed in heaven. Verse eight says, but the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. What do all of these people have in common? They destroy God's work of creation. They bring about harm on the earth. They bring about destruction to God's will and God's plan. And so what is he going to do with them to ensure they don't ruin the the recreation, the new creation? All of them their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Their influence will be completely removed from the new world which God has created, wherein he will dwell with his people. There, nobody's gonna mess it up. Nobody's going to bring rebellion into this new world their influence will be completely lost in his new kingdom. Those who are uninterested in living according to God's will will get exactly what they want. They will be free. They will be free from the presence of the God which they have rejected. Now, this brings up a lot of questions. What happened, if this is where we're going If this is what, and listen, heaven is a term that we use even more broadly than the term hell. Heaven is a lot of things in the Bible. Heaven, sometimes the the Bible speaks of the heavens, and that's simply the sky, what we would call space. You look up and you see the heavens, you see the stars, you see the sun, you see the moon. That's, That's just space, is what that is. Heaven is also the place where God dwells, which is apart from the place, the, the, the world that we dwell in, right? And then ultimately, that what, what we usually mean when we say heaven is eternity with him. And that is exactly, precisely what's in view here in Revelation 21. It is the place where we will dwell with God. Now this, this answers some questions. This brings up some others. Um, what will heaven be like well, obviously it'll be good. It's gonna be amazing. <laughs> but, but what will we do? We float around or we become angels. We have wings and halos and we float around on clouds and stuff. No, that, none of that is in the Bible. In the, in, in the Bible, heaven is a, a world much like this one. 
except better. It's a world in which we get to do meaningful work. It's a world in which we have a purpose. It's a world in which we get to build upon the creation that God has placed us in. It's a world full of many of the joys and pleasures that we know now, just better. And one of the, one of the most often asked questions about heaven is, well, do we go to heaven as soon as we die? Like if you're a Christian and you believe and you've been saved by the gospel, do you go immediately to heaven? The, the Bible answers that. Paul tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so here's what happens at death. At death, our bodies and our souls are separated. And we know, we know that the body remains here on earth, typically buried in the ground, but our souls go either to a place of pleasure or to a place of punishment. And that place of, of pleasure is uh, described by Jesus as paradise. He says to the thief on the cross, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't have to wait until the return of Jesus. He doesn't have to wait until the resurrection of the dead. Today, his soul is going to be with Jesus in paradise. I think that's what Paul is saying when he says, absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. But if you can imagine this, in, in, the, in, in that time, we've been separated from our bodies. And there's some people that think we get sort of an intermediate body. There's some people that, that think that we're just bodiless souls. We don't know, but we know it's good. And we know it's enjoyable. Then at the return of Jesus, this is where Revelation takes us. At the return of Jesus, there'll be what's called the resurrection of the dead. And Jesus is going to resurrect our physical bodies, which for the most of us have experienced almost complete decay. He's going to resurrect those bodies. He's gonna recreate them. And we're gonna get what's called a resurrected body. And our soul is going to be reunited with, with this body. And it's going to be way better than the bodies we have now. Like, way better. <laughs> at, at Jesus's resurrection, he, he was the first one to get a resurrected body. And his body was so much better and so much different that even his disciples had trouble recognizing him. Now, don't be discouraged into thinking that that means we won't know each other at the resurrection or anything. I don't think it means that at all. Once he revealed to them who he was, they knew, they knew him. They still, everybody still remembered each other. They just continued the relationship that they had here on earth. But the point is that his body was better. We also know that it's a real physical body because Thomas reaches out and he touches Jesus's body. However, it seems to have, it seems to be free from the limitations that these bodies have now. This body was capable of ascending into heaven. That's pretty wild. Pretty amazing to think of. This, this body is indestructible in that it won't break down like these bodies do. We won't have all the pain and the trouble and the disease and eventually the death that these bodies make us um, experience. And then, so that's the first, that's the resurrection of Christians. If, if we understand Revelation 20, that there's this millennial period where Jesus comes, the resurrection of believers happens, and we rule and reign with him on earth for a thousand years, 
then sometime after that is another resurrection. And that is the resurrection of the unsaved. And at the resurrection of the unsaved, the exact opposite will happen. The souls of unbelievers will be cast into what's referred to in Revelation as the lake of fire or the second death. And so those who have not received Jesus Christ as Savior not only die their initial physical death, but they will be resurrected to die an eternal death. Do you see the importance of what we do in this life? This life is not inconsequential. How we respond to the gospel, how we respond to God, don't let all of the all of the physical, temporary stuff distract you from the fact that you are created to live forever, either with God in his good presence or away from him in eternal damnation. Do you see how important it is that we, we, we get up above the weeds and start to see life in all of its glory that we are not just temporarily here to have fun and to make the most of this life, but that this life is preparation for eternity and that the consequences of our response to the gospel in this life determine whether we will be with Jesus or not. We must think beyond the temporary. We must think beyond our current reality. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, I'm gonna close after I read this. He says, for we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. And so don't miss what Paul says here in verse 18. He says, so we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Brothers and sisters, friends, be sure you use this life to properly prepare yourself for eternity. Receive the salvation found through Jesus Christ in the gospel that he died in our place so that we don't have to, so that we can have the forgiveness of our sins and make him the Lord of our life now so that we can live for him and invest ourselves in the things that will last forever. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, there's nothing more important than what we choose to do with Jesus in this life. So I pray that in this world where everybody is consumed by what is seen, we would be those who live according to what is not seen. That we would see this life for what it truly is, an opportunity to invest ourselves into your eternal kingdom. It is an opportunity to receive the forgiveness of our sins. It is an opportunity to declare and demonstrate the gospel to others that they might know. It is an opportunity to do meaningful gospel work 
so that we might have many brothers and sisters who would join us in this new creation. Father, if there's anybody here today who's ready, they're ready to jump in with both feet and say, I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Would you cause them to believe the good news of the gospel is for them and to respond by making Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives today and to begin this new life of living for you. We love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.